Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Well, this summer we're doing a series called This is the Way as we're looking at the way of life that Jesus modeled for us to live. And so Jesus has ascended to heaven. He has gifted us his Holy Spirit and his spirit empowers us to live life like Jesus would live it if he were in our shoes. And we want to discover that. We want to live in that. And so we've been walking through different things as far as fighting temptations and prayer. And today we're going to continue that series. Well, when I was in college um, about half of my life ago, there was a girl who started a rumor about me and, and, and I was furious about it. As friends came up and asked me and said these things, like, where in the world did you hear this? Like, what in the... And so I was very upset, very angry, and like a mature college student would do, I called her and let her know that I thought she was crazy and psycho and that she was saying these lies in such a way that I think she might even start to be believing her own lies. And, and then I hung up the phone, deleted her number and felt like I did it. I've done it like that is done with. She knows, she knows what she did and now I'm out. Well, a couple days later, I get a phone call from a number I don't know. And I'm like, who's this? And I pick it up and there's a quivering voice. It's her. And because I deleted her number, I didn't know that it was her. And so I just hung up again and then saved the number as do not answer. And I remember having some friends over a few days later and my, they're like, hey, your phone's ringing. I was like, who is it? Like, it's, it's do not answer. I was like, put the phone down. Like, put it down. Do not touch that phone. And so for, for a while, I had this grudge against her. I, I talked about her to other people to let them know that she was crazy. And, um, and really, like, when we saw, each, I mean, we saw each other in the same circles, it would always be awkward as she would just kind of leave the room or I would get mad. Well, one day I'm driving through West Texas, which is always a fun, long drive, and I'm listening to a sermon on Matthew 18 about forgiveness and about bitterness and what it does to our hearts, and, and God's word impacted me so much that I knew exactly what I had to do. So I pulled out my phone, got to my contacts, went to do not answer, and called her, and one, extended forgiveness, um, but two, by this point, I had to ask for forgiveness because I had done so much slandering and had so much malice in my heart towards her that I actually had to ask her for forgiveness. It was an awkward 30-minute conversation, but it was needed and it was healing. Well, looking back, like I said, that was half a life ago. Um, That felt so big at the time, but now I realize that's a pretty small thing, a pretty small thing. But here's the deal. Whether, Whether you're hurt and pain from someone is small or big, or somewhere in between, the truthfulness of Jesus's words in Matthew 18 remain true. They remain true and they are something that we need to take to heart this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 18. Starting in verse 21, it says, then Peter came up, this is one of Jesus's closest friends, one of the 12 disciples. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? as many as seven times. So at first we have the question. So the question is, if someone is sinning against me, how often do I need to extend forgiveness for them? Now, seven might seem like a random number to throw out, but according to, to the Jewish custom of their understanding of Amos and the book of Job, they would say you should forgive someone three times. 
And after you've forgiven someone three times, if they do it again, their heart hasn't really been changing. They haven't really repented. They're just taking advantage of you. So you are fine just to walk away. You, you don't have to extend forgiveness beyond the third time. So Peter takes that number. He doubles it. He's like, six is a bad number. So let's make it seven, a holy number. And he says, as many as seven times. Now he's thinking he has gone above and beyond. In his mind, he's thinking that Jesus's response is gonna be like, I mean, if you could do that, that'd be incredible, but I don't expect seven, but let's see how Jesus responds. So we have the question in verse 21, now we have the response. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, real quick, some of your translations might say 70 times seven. Um, we're not sure which translation is the best translation. So maybe you have 77, maybe you have 70 times seven, but let me explain what's going on here. Um, I had a children's minister at my other church, my old church in San Antonio when I was a student pastor. And we had the church where you walk down the aisle for children's sermon. So during the service, they would play Jesus Loves Me and all the kids would file down to the front and sit with the children's minister. And so they're sitting with her and she's talking about this story and she gets out the calculator and she multiplies 70 times seven. She's like 490 times. That's how many times you're supposed to forgive someone. Can any of you do that? And of course, kids are like, I could do it. You know, and, but here's the deal. Jesus is an Eastern teacher, all right? In his culture, what he is doing is he's not giving us a number to calculate. He's saying that we should actually forgive in such a way that we're not keeping track. Don't calculate how many times someone has sinned against you. Continue to forgive without keeping count. So his point isn't to keep count and to keep a tab, but to give over and over and over and over again to forgive continuously. So we have a question, we have a response, and then he's going to give us a parable, a story to help unpack why we are to forgive so radically. Verse 23, it says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. All right, so he talks about the kingdom of heaven. Last week in the Lord's Prayer, we, we talked about praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the goal is for heaven to come down. The, the means to get there is, is following God's will for our lives. But here's what I want you to know. There are two ways to live. We can live culture up or we can live kingdom down. When we live culture up, we let culture, the world we live in, influence the way we think, the way we feel, the way we act. And so there's a lot of cultural responses to real life issues that we can allow to dictate what we do. But there's another way to live, which is kingdom down, which is allowing Christ in us to affect the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we act. And so when you think about forgiveness and someone wronging you, what's a culture up response to that? A culture up response is generally like, if they've wronged you, write them off. If they've wronged you, get even or make sure that they know the pain that you have felt and help them to experience the same in some way. Like uh, uh, we're, we're, we're very vengeful people, all right? So culture up treats forgiveness one way, but how does it look for a kingdom to come down? How does it look for heaven to unfold through the way that we respond to people when they wrong us? And that's what Jesus is giving us an illustration of or his parable for. And he talks about it. It's like a king who's settling accounts with his servants. So there's a king or a master and there are servants who owe him money. There are, there are servants who are in debt to him. It says, when he began to settle, verse 24, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, it's hard to figure out, like, what is a modern-day equivalent of a New Testament currency, right? So to the best of my ability, using minimum wage of our day and age, a talent, all right, is about $350,000, 
right? And so then you multiply that times 10,000, and what you get is this is about $3.5 billion that this guy owes him, right? So you might be thinking, what in the world? Jesus uses what's called hyperbole. He's using an extreme example to drive home a point. And the point being is that paying off this debt is incomprehensible. This is an impossible debt to pay off. Right? And since, verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the master's response to this unpayable debt is, well, some money is better than no money. So I'm going to sell his family off. I'm going to sell off his possessions. And in that day and age, they didn't sell off family units. It wasn't like, well, you get the family unit here and you take them as a package deal. It's like if someone goes, I want the husband because he's strong. All right. And so they sell the husband off to the highest bidder. Well, I want the kids because I want them to do this. So sell the kids off. Well, I like the wife because she can do this. They would divide the family. It was a cruel, it was a cruel way of doing things, but it was the way to make the most money. And so here he is facing the reality of about to be split from his family, about to lose everything he has. And so I want you to, for a second, to put yourself in his shoes. If you were this servant and you knew you were about to lose it all, if you knew that you were about to be separated from your family to never see them again, how would you be responding? Like, what would be going through your mind? Think about, like, what, what, how would your body physically be reacting? Would you be shaking would you be crying? Would you, would, like, how would you physically be reacting in this moment? So here this guy is in this moment of realizing he's about to lose it all, that this master is about to have him thrown um, into slavery. And so verse 26 says, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now we know $3.5 billion that this is a ridiculous request, but when you are emotionally charged, when, when your life is falling apart and you're panicking, in this moment, you're not thinking rationally. So he's just throwing himself before the king, asking for mercy. In verse 27, it says, and out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now that word pity is the same word translated for compassion. So you see Jesus throughout the gospels has compassion on people who are in need of God's grace. What we see here is that same word now translated pity. This guy has compassion on this guy because he realizes this servant is in desperate need of something that only the king can give, right? And so in this moment, what we have is a picture of us before God. So the, the first servant is an illustration of us before God. We owe God perfect obedience, and anything less puts us in debt. And if we could see an itemized receipt of all our sin, it'd be incalculable. It would be unpayable. Yet God in his mercy does not give us what we deserve, and in his grace gives us what we could never earn. And this makes no sense, right? This may, like, so the same way that the master would forgive $3.5 billion in debt makes no sense, that's the equivalent to God forgiving us of all of our sin. If we could see it laid out before us, our only response would be, this makes no sense. But is this a parable about God forgiving us or is this a parable about us forgiving others? So let's, let's keep going. Verse 28, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 
100 denarii. That's, that's more than a few bucks. It's about $6,000, all right? So about 6,000 compared to 3.5 billion, it seems reasonable. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. And so in other words, he, he goes Wayne Brady on this guy, like starts choking him. And he's like, give me the money that you owe me, all right? And so this guy, verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. A very similar, if not the exact same request that the first servant made earlier. He says, just give me some time and I'll pay you. And, and the first paying 3.5 billion, not feasible, right? 6,000? completely reasonable, right? How is he going to respond, right? How is he going to respond? And so the question we have is, will the mercy extended to servant one have any effect on how he responds to servant two, right? So as we hear the same request, have mercy on me, just give me some time and I'll pay it off. Is he going to think back to what was just forgiven him? Is he gonna think back to how he was treated and is he going to extend the same mercy towards this servant? But verse 30 says, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. All right, so if, if you were a bystander, how would you feel about this guy? I mean, if you're a bystander, you're seeing this unfold, knowing what this guy was just forgiven and now seeing how he treats this other guy, you're probably thinking like, what in the, like, how could he? I mean, this guy, this guy was just forgiven so much money. Now he can't give this guy a little bit of a time. Like you'd probably be angry at this guy if you saw his response, all right? And his fellow servants saw what had taken place. They were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. That, that's, a, that's a big point of this parable here. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay off all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so the main point of this parable is this, the mercy and grace extended by the king to the first servant should have so radically impacted his heart that he'd be quick to extend grace and forgiveness to others. The point that Jesus is driving home here is that the mercy and grace extended by the king to the first servant should have so radically impacted his heart that he'd be quick to extend grace and forgiveness to others. So here's the big takeaway for us today. What we need to know is that God's forgiveness flowing in us should produce forgiveness flowing through us to others. When we know God's forgiveness at the heart level, when we know the debt in which we have been forgiven, we know the, the magnitude of our sin and to know that a holy God would wipe that away. It should, that forgiveness flowing in us should enable forgiveness to flow through us to others, which means the key to forgiveness is to spend less time focusing on what others have done to you and more time focusing on what Christ has done for you. All right, so what's the key to forgiveness? The key to forgiveness is to spend less time focusing on what others have done to you and more time focusing on what Christ has done for you. 
Because knowing how God has eternally and unconditionally forgiven you through Christ should make it unthinkable for you to refuse forgiveness to others. So let me tell you why this is so important. This is something that, that I've been sitting on this week, and it has really, really, really been messing with me. And I want to be very upfront with you and tell you, this sermon is very much for me. Like, I have been wrestling this week to not just be up here preaching something and, and without living it, okay? But here's what's been messing with me. If you read Ephesians 4, 4 verses 31 through 32, let me read this to you, or 30 through 32. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That verse is a verse that is underlined in my Bible. It's been underlined in every Bible I've had since the first time I encountered a Jehovah Witness. Because a Jehovah Witness would say that the Holy Spirit is not a person, it is an active force. And then I look at this and like, you can't grieve an active force, but this says the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And I, that's, where, that's as far as that verse has ever gone for me. But this week I want to continue on. All right, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Then he continues, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. What are the things that grieve the Holy Spirit? Verse 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, slander. These are things that when we do them, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Then verse 32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. So how do we not grieve the Holy Spirit? Through forgiving others as we've been forgiven. So let me explain what's going on here. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is given to us to enable us to live like Jesus. It's, it's so Jesus can express who he is through us to the world we're in. But when we grieve the Holy Spirit through bitterness, through anger, through slander, through unforgiveness, we begin to suppress Christ in us and keep him from being expressed to the world we're in. You see, forgiveness keeps us from being like Jesus. This is a serious thing. Like, it breaks God's heart. It grieves him when we, who have been forgiven much, refuse to forgive others. And that grievance of the Holy Spirit suppresses Jesus in us. And instead of us being like Christ of the world and living kingdom down, we begin to live culture up. Instead of living kingdom down, we begin to live culture up. You see, if we're going to follow Jesus, the way of life he modeled, then forgiveness is a path we have to walk. If we're going to let Jesus not only be in us, but to live through us, then forgiveness, the way of life that Jesus modeled for us is a path we have to walk. If we do this, if we begin to walk the path of forgiveness, it will lead to healing. That healing produces joy, it produces peace, it produces Christ-likeness. But if we refuse to walk this path, if we choose to hold on to, to what someone has done to us and not to forgive, that path leads to bitterness, anger, vengeance, hate, and other destructive things. Okay, this, this is where it gets hard. Because 
I'm, I'm going to guess that a large chunk of people right now are saying, but you don't know. But you don't know. And I'm telling you, it's hard for me to look throughout the room right now because there are people I'm saying, like, don't make eye contact with because I know. I know so much hurt in this room right now. I know it. And I want to tell you, like, I, I guarantee you, most of you have hurt or been hurt in ways that I have not. So I do not, I, I can't put myself in a position of identifying with what you've gone through, what's happened to you. I can't. But I know that your pain is real. I don't believe that you deserve to suffer. God knows your pain deeply, right? But I'm called to speak the truth in love. And that means I have to say things, even if it's not easy, especially when the consequences to your heart being made more like Jesus are at stake. And so I get it that it hurts and you're saying you don't know, but think about Jesus at the cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Those people didn't feel sorry. They didn't ask for forgiveness. They were at the cross, probably never felt sorry, and Jesus forgave them even when they weren't asking for it. Like Jesus models for us a way of forgiveness. So let me, let me real quick, let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Because I preached on forgiveness when we did the Lord's Prayer a couple years ago, and I pretty quickly had someone at the front letting me have it. Um, and so let me, let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not turning a blind eye. What I mean by that is if someone has done something that's hurt you, and for you to turn a blind eye allows you to be hurt again or allows others to be hurt in the same way, you're doing it wrong. Like if something is done to you that's illegal, it's, it's your call to report that. Don't let someone be, be ignored in a way that they could hurt you or hurt others. So forgiveness is not turning a blind eye. Another thing is that forgiveness is not denying, approving, or excusing what happened. Here's a really big thing to understand. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. I think so often we confuse forgiveness and reconciliation because that's how, like, when, like Lucy and I, when we parent our kids, like, one kid hits another kid and there, there's, there's tension here and we're like, say you're sorry, you're sorry, say I forgive you, forgive you, now go be friends again, go out into the yard. And it's like forgiveness and back together friends into the yard, reconciliation. So it happens at the same time. But here's the truth. Forgiveness is a one-way street. Reconciliation is a two-way street. And if you think that forgiveness and reconciliation are the same thing, what happens is you begin to allow your healing process to be attached to someone else's decisions or someone else's feelings, and you're hindering your ability to heal. Forgiveness is on you. But reconciliation is going to take two people, right? So forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. They often lead Forgiveness often leads to reconciliation, but it's not the same thing. So it's not reconciliation. It's also not restoration. What I mean by that is some, sometimes it is restoration, but it's not always. Like, for instance, let's say that you have a best friend who does something with another best friend's spouse. Like, you can forgive, but are you going to take a vacation together? Probably not. Okay? Like, it's not restoration. It's also not forgetting. This idea of like forgive and forget, like you just, there's some things you cannot forget. Like it's not a call to forget, 
But the more that you have to think through what you're forgiving, the more God's grace is working through you and the more powerfully it will impact your heart. So it's not a call to forgive and just to, to forget about it. All right, so those are like, and we could, there's probably more to us, but I want to clarify there, there are things that forgiveness is not, but let me tell you what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the choice to release feelings of resentment and vengeance towards someone who has wronged you. So the first part of forgiveness is it's a choice. It's a choice to release feelings of resentment and vengeance towards someone who has wronged you. But it's also a process. So let me explain what I mean. It's, it's also a process. One of my, one of my best friends um, bought his first house and it had bamboo in the corner. Back right corner, a little section of bamboo. And so one day for a Saturday project, he goes, I'm going to remove this bamboo. So he goes out there and he chops it all down. And he's thinking like, that's good. We're going to make a garden back there, something else. Well, the next week, his next Saturday that's freed, guess what? The bamboo is back. And he's like, what in the world? So he goes at it again and thinks like, this time I really got it out. And then the next week he comes back for a Saturday project and guess what's back? The bamboo. So he starts to Google and it's like, you've got to get the roots out. So he goes to town and starts pulling up roots. And he's like, I'm, he's, he thinks bamboo is in one corner of his yard. And he's like, I'm pulling roots to the middle of my yard. And so he's pulling up roots and it's just everywhere. And he just goes to town for a full day, hands cut and bruised and bleeding. But he's like, I've done it. I've removed every root of bamboo in my yard. It's done. And then the next week he comes out and bamboo is now shooting up all over his yard in different places. And he's like, Whoa. and so he Googles, how do you remove bamboo? And there's two options. There's persistence. You just keep doing it. And then there's putting a big black tarp over your whole yard and killing everything. And so, so when you think about like roots, that's what unforgiveness does to us. Unforgiveness, like if you make the choice, you make the choice, I, I, I'm making a choice to release the feelings of resentment and anger towards this person for hurting me. I've made the choice to forgive. And so you make that first choice, but you know what happens? If you don't continue to, to the process of forgiveness, you allow a root of bitterness to remain in you. And what happens is a root will eventually come to the surface and expose itself. And what happens, like the bamboo in the yard, is that maybe originally it was exposing itself in this corner, but all of a sudden, if you don't deal with it, it's going to come out over here. And all of a sudden, like this person hurts you, but now you're bitter and snapping at your kids. You're like, where did that come from? And it's because there's a root that's come up over here in this area of life. Or then something happens at work. All of a sudden, this bitterness begins to affect every different aspect of your life as it pops up. One of the most impactful things I heard in that sermon from when I was in college is that bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping that it kills someone else. It's like drinking poison. So if you don't continue the process of continuing to say, I forgive this person, I forgive this person to the degree that I'm able to today and I want to do it more tomorrow, you will allow bitterness to be rooted in you. And if it's rooted in you, it will eventually expose itself in a way that is harmful to other areas of your life. So we have to make that initial choice. But the truth is, is that we have to continue to forgive. And that's what like, I'm speaking from my heart right now because there, there's someone right now that I'm like, I've got to forgive this person and then I'm like, okay, I made that choice. And then three days later, something else comes up. So-and-so said this. And I'm like, oh, like it's back. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, like where did that? And so I have to make the choice again. And it's literally this morning, I'm, I'm praying in this back corner where Patrick is. And, uh, and I'm praying in that corner over there. And as I'm praying, I feel like God says, pray for their blessing. 
And God, I forgive them. And I feel like God said, no, no, if you want to fully forgive them, you need to pray blessings over their life. But I kind of don't want them to live a blessed life, you know? And it's like, okay. And so in this corner for about 15 minutes, I just listed out things I'm asking for God to bless in their life. God, bless their marriage. God, give them joy in that relationship. God, bless their kids. Let their kids know Jesus so soon in life. Let their kids hold tightly to you. God, bless their work. Let them, let them be successful. Let them be prosperous. And I, just, I went through my whole journal just going through areas of life praying for God to bless this person because I want to get rid of this bitterness that's killing me and doing nothing to them. You see, we all have areas of life where people have hurt us, and God is calling us to extend forgiveness to be like Jesus because he wants us to begin this path of healing where he can then, this, 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 this choice to forgive and this process of forgiveness is an invitation for Christ to begin healing your heart and to give you joy and to give you peace and to give you Christ's likeness in your life. So here's what I'm gonna do to wrap up. In John chapter 5, um, Jesus is walking up to a well, and there's a guy who can't walk, and um, he looks at him, and he says, do you want to be healed? And the truth is, is that sometimes people don't want to be healed. Some people, sometimes people want to sit in where they are. It's like, no, I want to hold on to this. I want to hold on to this way of life. I don't want to deal with this. But other times people are saying, yes, I want to be healed. And so in the spirit of do you want to be healed, if you're holding on to an area of your life right now where you're struggling to forgive someone, where that is grieving the Holy Spirit, where that is keeping you from experiencing the joy and the peace that God gives you, I want to ask you, do you want to be healed? And if you do, will you make the choice today? Will you make the choice to release your feelings of resentment and vengeance? And will you give it to God? Will you take time to look to Jesus and let his forgiveness in you begin to produce forgiveness through you? Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.